0: Good morning, everyone. So every Lent, the church gives us today's gospel as kind of a, this spot of hope on our way as we journey towards Jerusalem with Christ and towards the cross. Now, we're not going to focus too much on this, but I feel like I have to hit this every time Transfiguration comes up. So, Catholics who know your Bible super well, right? You all do. You know it better than you think. Who are the three apostles that Jesus takes with him today? Good job. I love it when you mumble. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, James, and John. That's right. Where is, it, where is another place we see Jesus just take Peter, James, and John? Gethsemane, right? The Garden of Gethsemane. There's a third place. Anyone who doesn't work for Focus or the Augustan Institute can answer. Where is it? What is it? uh, By the lake, true, but just the three of them singled out. No, it's what? Very good. One of our RCIA converts. Yeah, not fair. You're not Catholic yet. (laughs) When in Mark chapter 5, there's a little girl who dies. She's the daughter of a synagogue official named Jairus. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him, and he raises the little girl from the dead. Now here's just one small point I want you to always remember about the transfiguration, is that the transfiguration is the opposite side of the coin of Gethsemane. Jesus, right before our gospel today, he's told the apostles he's going to the cross. He's on his way to Jerusalem, he's going to die, and that's going to scandalize the apostles. It's going to have uh, an effect where it might challenge them not to believe anymore. But Peter, James, and John have seen his glory. And they're strengthened by that. Okay. So in my house, I have um, a couple pieces of art. And one of them is the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Painted by Rembrandt. It's not the original. Um, Actually, the original was stolen in 1990 from the Boston Museum of Fine Art, which is like, you know, it's really evil that they stole that, but it's really impressive, too. It's like, how did they do that? So it's missing right now. No one knows where it is. Uh, But it's one of the most famous pieces of art in all of history. Rembrandt painted it, I think he was 20 years old amazing and it's one of the greatest pieces of art in all of history so in that painting and i encourage you all after today's mass go look it up online take a look at it and it's uh you all know the story so the apostles and jesus are on a boat on the sea of galilee and a great storm arises in fact the gospel writers when they describe that storm they use the word seismos which is the greek word for an earthquake and so it's a violent storm. It's not a little Colorado rainstorm that passes in five minutes. It's a very violent storm. And Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And Rembrandt very much understood that Christian art is supposed to help you and me to use our Christian imagination. It's meant to help us to live inside the Gospels to understand that Jesus' life is not just something that happened in the past, but it's actually something you and I are called to participate in. So in that painting, Rembrandt very intentionally takes the mast of the boat, and it's very clearly the cross. And on one side of the cross is Jesus asleep, and there's a number of apostles trying to wake him up. And don't you feel like that sometimes in your life? There's a storm in your life. You don't know how you're going to get through it, and you say, Jesus, where are you? And you're trying to wake him up, and you say, Lord, come to my aid. Lord, help me. And that side of the painting, on that side of the cross, it's very dark. It's a very dark half of that painting. Now, on the other side of the cross, there's light. And there, there's light breaking onto the ship. And the light source is actually outside the painting. You can't see where it's coming from. But Ram ran right, is helping us with that virtue of hope. When you're going through a storm in life, when you feel the cross, when you feel darkness around you, You and I know as Christians that there's light and resurrection on the other side of the cross. But that's not all. On that dark side of the boat, there's one light source. There's only one source of light in there. It's very subtle. It's not very bright. It's hard to even see it's there. But there is actually a light source in that dark half of the painting. And that light source is the face of Christ. And that's what today's gospel is about. Brothers and sisters, sometimes in our life, Jesus is going to call us, like he is right now in Lent, to walk with him into suffering, to renounce our sinfulness, to renounce our passions, and to grow in holiness. And it's hard. And God knows that sometimes we need light In the middle of that journey, we need light to help us and to encourage us to strengthen our hearts. And that's exactly what Jesus does today with Peter, James, and John. And here's my first point. We're going to quote Origen. So in the third century, Origen says this. And what he's getting at here is that, very similar to what Rembrandt is saying, is that brothers and sisters, the gospel stories are not just things that happen. They are. But they're meant to teach you about your life as a Christian. And so Origen says this. He says, we either come to him with the crowds as he nourishes us with parables just enough from keeping us, to keep us from fainting with hunger. So there's different ways you can come to Christ. Some people, right in the Gospels, there's some people who only come with the crowds. And all they get from Jesus are parables. And that helps, but it's just barely enough. And some Christians today are like that. They're only comfortable staying with the crowd. They're not going to take that next step to go deeper. If we don't come that way, we sit constantly and without interruption at his feet, interested solely in hearing his word without being anxious about many things. So the second way he says is if you know the story of Mary and Martha in Luke's gospel. And Mary leaves everything behind to sit at the feet of Christ. If you do that, you're gonna have, you're gonna be fed more deeply. You're gonna encounter Christ in a deeper way. But If there is someone who is able to climb the mountain with him, like Peter, James, and John, that person will be illuminated not only by the light of Christ, but also by the voice of the Father himself. Listen to that one more time. If there is someone who is able to climb the mountain with him, like Peter, James, and John, that person will be illuminated not only by the light of Christ, but also by the voice of the Father himself. Have you gone deeper? Jesus does not. Today he reveals his glory. And by the way, if you live a good Christian life, if you live a life of faith, hope, and love, someday you will see what Peter, James, and John saw which is more beautiful than anything anyone has ever seen. There is nothing. The word glory, glory just means divine beauty. It's a beauty that's not earthly. It's a beauty that transcends anything on this earth. And that's the glory of our Savior. If you live a good life, Brothers and sisters, you will see that someday. Now, origin's point, how do you come to Christ? Brothers and sisters, are you a part of the crowd? Or have you gone deeper? Jesus doesn't take everyone on the mountain. He takes those who have left the world behind to follow him. And if you do that, and I hope so, I hope you come to Mass. Not, I don't know why you're here, honestly. So just leave me alone. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I don't know why you're here. I hope you are here because in some way, the light of Christ has penetrated your soul. Christianity does not begin with morals. You've heard me say it before. Our faith has a moral code, but it doesn't start there. Real Christians are people who some way, imperceptibly, the light of Christ has reached into their souls. If you're that person, brothers and sisters, and I pray that every one of you is, you become a pillar of the church. Because all of us need those men and women who have seen the glory of Christ. are transformed by it and when you meet someone like that they help all of us on our way and so my first point this morning and my hope and my prayer for each of you is that you will not be a part of just the crowd that you will go deeper in your christian life that you will come to a place where you can perceive the glory of the savior And if you do, you will be a witness for the church and for the world. That's the first point. Secondly, this morning, I want you to think about costly love. This is probably the main point our scriptures make together today. All three of our main readings, they want you and I, the church wants you and I today to think about costly love. So I was praying about this this week, and I thought, how can I help my congregation, my family to understand this? And at the same time this week, here's a little announcement that I can throw in now so I don't have to give it at the end. There's the Denver Catholic this week, our diocesan newspaper. The main story on the front page is about our school. So be looking for that. If you don't get the Denver Catholic, you should, but you can also get it online. And the main story is about the tremendous way that God has turned around our school. But that got me thinking about today's gospel and about our readings. When I was a seminarian about 10 years ago, I was assigned here. And so one of these guys in the collar, not Tyler, he's betraying us and going back to Montana. Um, But one of these guys in the collar might be the pastor of Lords one of these days. Micah might be our new pastor, who knows? But I was a seminarian, and I was here with Monsignor Kwong. Some of you know him. Some of you don't. Monsignor Kwong was the last pastor here at Lourdes. And when I came, the school was really struggling. Uh, We had about 90 students, and everyone was stressed. Monsignor was stressed. The teachers were stressed. The principal was stressed. It was a very hard time. And everyone kept saying, how are we going to do this? How can we keep the school open? And I'm a melancholic, and I'm just kind of a naysayer. So I told Monsignor Kwong, I was like, just close it. (laughs) I really did. Sorry, teachers and parents, I did. Because I was like, there's five Catholic schools right here. Why are we pulling out our hair, and everybody's so stressed? It makes sense that we should close the school. And I didn't know why at the time, but Monsignor absolutely refused. He would not even entertain that thought for a minute. And I didn't know why, and it took me years until I figured out, I learned the story of why he did that. Now, Monsignor Quang, if you don't know him, he is like the most ridiculous human being on planet Earth. He's a wonderful priest, and he tells these amazing stories very nonchalantly. And at first, you wonder if they're true. They are. And so, when he was a seminarian in Vietnam, all kinds of crazy things happened. And so I remember being with him here at Lord's, and he'd turn to me and be like, Brian, gosh, this is worse than the time the communists buried me alive. And I was like, (laughs) excuse me? And you kind of think he's just making that up, and then you find out it was real. They really did. As a seminarian, he was tortured. They buried him alive. They also cut off his thumb. He was a medical student before he entered seminary, And when he was imprisoned by the communists, they cut his thumb off. Monsignor Kwong picked it up, went back to his cell, and sewed it back on himself. And I'm like, I got nothing. (laughs) I don't have any cool stories like that. But eventually it came out, and this is what I learned. Monsignor Kwong, when he was a kid, his parents wanted a better future for him. And they wanted him to go to Catholic school but they couldn't afford it. And so they sold their wedding rings. And that's how he went to Catholic school. And that's why Monsignor Kwong would rather die than see our school close. His parents had a costly love for him. Years later, Here in the United States, he bought them new wedding bands. So beautiful, so powerful. They had a costly love, and that's why that changed him forever, right? Monsignor Kwong, for the rest of his life, he will know that story. He knows the depths to which his parents loved him and sacrificed him. And all three of our readings are about that today. So in our first reading in Genesis 22, Abraham takes his son Isaac to sacrifice him. And my my brothers and sisters, we've got to know the story. We've got to know the story of Abraham. This is a costly sacrifice for him. Abraham, we're told, when God comes to him, he makes this big promise. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the heavens. Genesis 15. And God, when we get to Genesis 22, where we're at today for our first reading, Abraham says this. He says, God, I'm 110, and I have everything I need. What are you going to bless me with? Because I don't have a son. Now some of you are too young to really understand this. But you parents and grandparents, right? You get this. You get to a place in life where you're okay. And what you want is not more blessings for you. You want them for your children. And Abraham... He says, God, how are you going to bless me? I'm an old man. Paul has this great line in Romans 4 where he says that Abraham was as good, his body was as good as dead. It's like, way to stick it to Abraham, Paul. But God, right, that, that's the point. And so Abraham, Isaac, his son, finally Abraham is granted a son Isaac. And Isaac is Abraham's everything. Isaac is Abraham's everything. Not just a good thing, not just someone he cares about. Isaac, every promise God has given to Abraham hinges on Isaac. Every single promise Abraham has received. Costly love. Our gospel today, at the end of the gospel, the voice of the Father is heard on the Mount of Transfiguration, And God the Father says, this is my son, my agapetos, my beloved. When you see other people suffer, we all feel bad. right? This week at the shootings in Florida, our hearts go out to those people. But we all know it's different when you know the person. When someone you love is suffering, there are no words. And what the transfiguration wants us to see, brothers and sisters, it's going to the cross. And the transfiguration wants us to see that for God the Father, he hates it when anyone suffers. But the man who hangs on the cross is his beloved. Beloved. It's his everything. The Father has a costly love for us. His everything, and that brings us finally today to our second reading in Romans chapter eight. And I, I encourage you to go home. If you're if you're melancholic like me, which is the best temperament, I always say all the saints are melancholic. Jesus was a man of sorrows, melancholic, right? This is how it works. Sorry to the rest of you chumps. Um, But if you get beat up sometimes and you feel like life is so hard, how can I be a Christian? How can I follow God? Go home and read Romans 8, and it will fill you with joy and light and hope. And here's our second reading. What shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son has everything. I feel sometimes, as a Christian, and I imagine most of us do, it's easy to relate to Christ. We know his love for us. And sometimes the Father, though, can seem a little distant. We love Christ, but maybe we're a little scared of the Father. We don't understand him. Brothers and sisters, the Father gave you his everything. And the story of Abraham is in the end not really a story about him. It's a story about God the Father who did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for you. That's our faith. Do you know do you have any idea how deeply you are loved? Monsignor Kwong will never be the same because of the love of his parents. And it shaped the way he lived the rest of his life. If you're going to climb that mountain, if you're going to be a witness to the glory of the Savior, you first have to really drink deeply of that You have to understand how deep the Father's love for you is. Jesus, our prayer today as we make our journey with you to Jerusalem. Lord, may we know that you are the beloved of the Father. And that you were surrendered for us. Jesus, help us to leave behind the world. May our penances, this Lent, may they purify us. May they free us from our evil desires. Jesus, may we climb that mount with you. And Jesus, may we be witnesses to your glory.